I would think that people probably come just because they hear you have to be here to do stuff. And like, this is where the studios are. This is where the entertainment industry is. I think anybody that I've known, you know, makes me feel like the reason people stay is finding like-minded individuals and like other people that are passionate about the same things that you are. And I think that's harder to find in other places. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. I, you know what? That doesn't feel right for this episode. <clears throat> Just one second. Hi, I'm Daniel. This is Hollywood Hustle podcast. Yeah, that's a better one for this episode. Hi, everybody. We are back. Boom, boom, boom. We are back, yeah, back in the groove, yeah, back in the groove. It is so awesome to be back, season two starting up, and man, do we have a fantastic premiere episode for season two. I am so excited to be back. It was weird not having uh, to upload any episodes or do any kind of changes to the uh, website or just really kind of just doing social media stuff. It was kind of weird. So it's great being back. It's great to be back on the mic. We've really missed you guys. It's a new year, 2018. Same show, not really much difference. We're not changing the format or anything. We're still doing two episodes with each guest as much as we can. One episode, Team Hustles. You know, we have some great guests. We have, I mean, the guests that we have lined up and that we hope to have lined up also is phenomenal. And if we can get everybody that we're hoping, which... I don't know how we couldn't because it's just a podcast. Uh, it's going to be great. This is going to be a great season. Thank you so much for joining in with us, guys, uh, and staying with us over the hiatus. We kept talking to people online. Um, you guys kept asking questions and bringing up stuff, and it was just phenomenal and, and so great that we were able to keep in contact with everybody and just keep everybody updated and excited for what's coming. Yeah, it was just fantastic. I mean, this show is going to grow this year. We're, we are praying and hoping and, and ready for that. We have some great ideas. I mentioned on an Instagram live, Insta live, I guess, recently that we're looking at starting a Patreon soon. Uh, we hope that whoever can give can give and support the show and be more a part of the show because we have some really cool rewards that we're going to bring out on that, including some unedited episodes. We're going to bring out some special video things that we've recorded that has not been se- been seen by anybody. Uh, we're going to do some special commentaries with future and past guests. We're going to do a lot of cool stuff on Patreon. So I uh, hope you're excited about that. We'll keep you updated on how that's rolling out and when that's rolling out officially, but super excited about that. Until then, this is act one of a new episode. So let's get there. No more waiting. You guys have waited long enough. So today we bring you writer, director, YouTube channel creator, Michael Tucker. Michael was so kind to sit with us. We actually recorded his first episode uh, last October, and somehow during the recording, our audio recording program that we used at the time crashed, and because the screen went to sleep, Michael didn't see it, Michael Tucker, and so we recorded a whole hour and 15, hour and 30 minute episode that was just gone. (laughs) And so we waited a few months. We waited about three months uh, because Michael was busy. We were busy. And we also needed some distance from that original recording so that when we re-recorded, it just didn't sound like they're just saying the same things over. And it sounds like a copied, scripted interview. 
So we waited about three months. Michael was kind enough, kind enough to have us at his apartment. And we sat down and were able to record all of the episodes with a new audio software that didn't crash on us. Uh, so thank you, Michael Tucker, if you're listening. We truly appreciate your generosity and your kindness and your willingness to have us over and record again. And we think this one that we actually captured is even better than the first one. So it kind of works out in the end. So in Act 1 with Michael Tucker, Daniel and Michael discuss growing up in Pleasant Hill near the Bay Area, discovering the magic of film through Star Wars, then forcing friends to perform in his own movies. We discuss going to film school and then the experience of moving to L.A. We discuss the creative group Michael started with three friends and their lofty creative goals, including writing and filming their own web series. We discuss Michael's transitioning into screenwriting and how that led to his popular YouTube channel, Lessons from the Screenplay. So grab your copy of Anatomy of Story, open up Final Draft, and get ready for a fantastic conversation with director, writer, YouTube creator, Michael Tucker. Thank you, Daniel. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we have one of the nicest guys I think I've ever met in this town, other than Michael. Uh, his name is also Michael, famously enough. Uh, he's a director, a writer. Uh, he started a YouTube channel called Lessons from the Screenplay, where he does video uh, essays about different films and their screenplays. He actually reads the screenplays. Shocking, I know. And then he does analytical videos about different themes based on those things. If you get a check it chance, check it out at YouTube. Uh, Lessons from the Screenplay. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Tucker. Hello. Hello, Mr. Michael Tucker. How are you? I keep calling you that whole thing. <laughs> Mr. Michael Tucker. I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much. We are in your beautiful apartment. Yes. Uh, we saw the where the magic happens uh, in the office uh, of the lessons from the screenplay offices. Yes. A very, very exciting small office. <laughs> Second bedroom. There's, I mean, there's shelving and <laughs> there's a, a bookcase. Right. With and my Blu-rays. With your Blu-rays, which is appropriate, I think, for what you do. Right. Um <laughs> I, I was surprised there's not just stacks on stacks of screenplays <laughs> just surrounding your desk like mountains. This is why I love my iPad. Because <laughs> so then I don't need to have stacks and stacks. Everything's of just digital these yeah. days. Don't you want to just hold it though in your hands? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. Let's just start where it all began. Uh, just kind of tell us where you're from, about your family, just kind of that story. Sure. Uh, so I'm from a small town called Pleasant Hill, uh, California. Uh, it's in like the Bay Area, Pleasant Hill. Uh, and I grew up um, always wanting to make movies. Like my dad would, had a video camera and was always filming things. And so he was always uh, you know, showing me movies. And he's the one that taught me how to like edit VCR to VCR and like all that old school uh, techniques of making videos. So he was sort of the reason I started getting into movies and he showed me Star Wars, which was like the first thing that got me really excited about storytelling. Uh, and my mom uh, slowly gave up on her dream of me being a doctor uh, and then also supported me uh, <laughs> making movies and stuff. When she saw my reaction to blood, she was like, well, this is not. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be a doctor. You can't, just Did you faint? Is that is that? It was something like that. It was very squeamish. I've been known to faint at medical things several times. So you would that now you would make a good sketch on a like comedy show, right? The the fainting doctor, yeah. the doctor that can't stand the sight of blood. Yeah, um, that I could do. So you know, I find it funny that your your first uh, your like the film that kind of got you interested with Star Wars 
especially since you do a YouTube channel based on screenplays, because it literally starts with a piece of the screenplay <laughs> a narra- you know, narration in the film. So I find that very uh, uh, serendipitous. You obviously, you got your camera from your dad. Um, what were the first things you did with that camera? Like, when did you start kind of generating your imagination and creating things? So pretty much as soon as I was able to hold the camera, I was doing stuff. A lot of it was, you know, I, like I saw Toy Story. And so then I would uh, record all of my toys and like pretend like I was making Toy Story with like the camera in one hand and like Woody in the other hand and like make him talk to everybody. Um, so it was a lot of like recreating films I loved, like using my Jurassic Park toys to like recreate scenes in my backyard and stuff like that. Um, and so that's sort of where a lot of it started was, you know, as growing up essentially as an only child, like that was just what I did for fun. Uh, but then I would like grab the neighbor kids and be like, okay, you're going to go over here and you're going to say this. And then you're going to run because there's a tornado coming just like in Twister. And so you have to run away from the tornado and scream this and yell like cow, another cow. And like, <laughs> I was about to say, there's a cow. <laughs> right. Um, so it sort of like evolved from me playing with my toys to then incorporating like friends and like, us just making videos of us like being Ninja Turtles playing together and just like kind of just filming us like having fun and then slowly that kind of evolved to like okay well like let's make a story out of it and stuff like that. So for all the listeners dying to know which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle were you? So I loved Michelangelo. <sighs> That's right. High yes. five. My mother says that I was really into Raphael, but I feel like that was before I like really knew what was going on. Just everybody's into the bad boys. (laughs) (laughs) Like somebody asked that on Twitter the other day and everybody was like, Raphael, Raphael. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, Michelangelo is the way to go on that. Like he's just so much fun. (laughs) You know, and her names are similar. Being an only child, uh, I was an only child. Um, Michael had some brothers and sisters, lucky. Um, (laughs) But there's a lot of pros and cons, I think, to to having that. And one of the, the pros is it kind of forces you to build an imagination. Um, which can help you obviously later in life if you go into that imaginatory creative field. If you're an only child out there, you have a chance. (laughs) Um, What was your first, obviously Star Wars, when did you first start going like really understanding film and really like taking it in as an artwork? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think early on, I really wanted to be like a visual effects person because like I would see the spaceships blow up. We had experiences with miniatures. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I would act, like I used to go to the model shops and like buy the TIE fighter models and then like paint them and put them together and then have my dad light them on fire and then I would film it and it'd be like they're exploding. That's amazing that you had your dad light stuff on fire. And yeah, it's was, amazing like, totally that he did it. For it. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, my first focus was sort of on visual effects stuff. And I think as I got older, I think I started to understand like the the what I'm the emotion that I'm feeling is from like the story that's being told. And like the director is the person that is shaping that and conveying that to the audience. And I remember seeing the first Mission Impossible. Uh and there's um the like the scene at the end where like he's on the train and it's on a helicopter and it explodes and he goes flying across. And I remember that being like a mo- like I was just so excited by that <laughs> as a kid. And like I would go and play like in the garage on my mom's car and like hang off the hood and pretend <laughs> I was like Tom Cruise. And that was like I feel like that was a moment where I realized like it's so cool that just by watching this movie, I have all this like emotion and energy and like, I want to be able to do that. 
and like give that to other people. It's, it's, it's such a, you know, there's so many interesting films out there and it's always fun to hear like the movies that inspire people because sometimes there's always that one movie you wouldn't expect. <laughs> right. Like that, like, Oh, that is oh, that like Mr. Mom, like, you know, like, like <laughs> that inspired you. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Now, what kind of student were you in school? Were you an attentive student? Were you kind of a daydreaming student? Were you a good student? I was a pretty good student. I think I, I was sort of always naturally, I think, like got good grades. Like I never put in like tons of effort. Bragger. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was kind of nice because it was, I feel like I did pretty good in school and got good grades. So like, you know, I think there was never a worry for my parents that like you're spending too much time doing this video stuff because, you know, I think in high school was when like the end of high school is when I started to like, pay more attention to like filmmaking and like I cast even some of my teachers in my movies which was really fun and then one of the teachers gave me like a b minus or a c on something and I was like you knew like we were filming that weekend I didn't have time to study like we were making this movie on location (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's Um, amazing so yeah I feel like that's sort of later in high school is when I started putting even more energy into filmmaking and then when you get to college like schoolwork starts being harder and i remember resenting having to put work in did you have any other interests uh outside of uh filmmaking were you into sports or uh math or (laughs) (laughs) like science you know any kind of debate or anything like that um not really in like in like an official capacity like i played like flag football in middle school like i liked football but kind of like grew out of that and then i was on the improv team uh briefly in high school uh, and I was not very good at it, but I <laughs> met a lot of really cool people that are still my friends right. and that sort of got me into the drama department. And so that helped me like know actors and sort of start to learn like what is working with actors like and sort of treating, you know, storytelling more formally. How did like film and theater affect you as like a person growing up? Like, you know, how did it help shape you and who you are today? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's almost like that seems hard to answer because I feel like it's it's just such a big part right. that it's like 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 a hundred percent like completely <laughs> like I just remember watching like I would just watch movies over and over again like I watched Star Wars more times than I can count Independence like whatever it was I feel like I've always been the kind of person that when I find a thing I like I want to do it again until I've like gotten everything out of it that I can and then I like move on to the next thing okay so you're like an eater of worlds yeah (laughs) (laughs) you absorb all the nutrients right and you move on to the next world (laughs) I'm the the bad guys in Independence Day so did you perform I mean you said you were at improv and stuff were you a performer in in theater and stuff or you did you do more of the behind the scenes uh I for a very little bit did some of the performing what was was some of your roles that you can recall (laughs) I I wasn't really ever cast in a play but my my ninth grade drama teacher Kathy McCarty who I still keep in touch with uh identified me early on as like the shy kid and like did helped me a lot like by just like pushing me to get on stage and the first big thing that I had to do was there was like a stand-up comedy night and so we had to like write a you know a set basically and perform this like stand-up comedy thing and I really didn't want to do it but she like pushed me to do it and so that was that's the first time I remember like getting the you know the nerves up to go out in front of people and tell jokes and then people actually laughed which was really fun and great <laughs> uh and then 
And then in the improv team, you know, we had to do that sort of like whose line is in any way style thing, uh, which I was really bad at, but it was still good practice to like be up in front of people. Did you have a favorite game? No, <laughs> I didn't like any of them. I, was, <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I liked the ones where where I didn't have to come up with very much. Like whenever there was like an assigned role, it's right. like this is easier. Then. So where did you go to college? What did you study? So I went to UC Santa Cruz uh, and studied film and digital media okay. there. What was cool about my experience in college was that the UCSC film school has a has a very good like history and theory department but their production department was sort of just getting started and so we had a lot of free reign with the production stuff where we you know they had cameras and they were like take them do stuff like go have fun and i think for some people it was hard because like they wanted more structure and like like teach us how to like make a movie but I think for me, I was already like making movies and I was like, this is great. I got the camera. I'm going to go do stuff. I'll see you later. So, yeah. So on that side, Has it anybody was... seen Michael is my... <laughs> at our t- camera. You take the camera and he's gone. You um, return three days later. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it was for production wise, it was great because it was just like free reign to go practice stuff. And I didn't need any like pushing to do that. And then on the other side, the the film theory, the film history stuff, I think I did need that structure. And they had a great program there and a lot of really great professors that helped me sort of start to understand what it means to analyze film and to look as look at film as text and, you know, learn phrases like heteronormativity and things like that that help you like feel like you're fancy and smart when you're analyzing films and stuff. So um, when, what was the trajectory that brought you to L.A.? What was the kind of first inkling of I need to move to L.A.? Yeah, well, so after college, I went back home to the Bay Area and basically all my film friends that I had met, they all moved to LA straight away. And so it was kind of visiting them in the two years that I spent still in the Bay Area that sort of made me be like, oh, yeah, LA is kind of like, it is cool. It's like not scary. It's not as a NorCal person, you're sort of brought up to hate LA and feel that you are better than them, which is true. But I feel like there are, <laughs> there are nice things about LA. And I think being able to visit my friends here was like, okay, like when you find the right part of LA and the right people in LA, like, it's a really great place to be. And there's all this talent and all these people that are excited to make things. And so visiting them over the course of the two years that I was in NorCal sort of helped me be like, okay, I need to get there and start doing stuff. So what was, uh, you know, what was your planning to move to LA? What was, you know, when, from the time of saying like, I, I want to move to LA to actually doing it. What was the span? What did you do to prepare? I think it was about a year because I think it was September. September 2009 that I visited with my good friend Scott Martin for his birthday because he had friends living here. And so that was sort of when we both were like, okay, we want to like make stuff and direct stuff. We need to be in LA. And so then it was sort of just planning. Like, I don't even remember if I considered financial things. I must have, I I hope, I guess. (laughs) You seem like a guy that would. (laughs) Definitely would now. I don't know that, you know, 20 year old Michael was thinking about it. Let's give him a call. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Um, And at the time I was working uh, with a friend of mine, Michael Coleman, who had started a video series called Soundworks Collection. I think part of it was just, I really enjoyed working on that with him because it, it was and continues to be a online video series and resource um, 
that is all about sound mixing and sound designing. And so at that time, we were going to all the major studios and interviewing people like Ben Burt and Ren Kleiss and like these brilliant sound designers and sound mixers and occasionally even a couple of directors and just filming interviews with them talking about their process. And so it was really great as a learning experience to learn more about the importance of sound in filmmaking, which is one of the most underappreciated parts of filmmaking, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and it was really great experience, you know, editing this kind of documentary style, like kind of what you'd see on like special features of a Blu-ray kind right. of thing, um, which I hadn't done a whole lot of. So it was, it was great as a learning experience for both of those reasons. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So in that two years that I was in the Bay area, I was helping him with that. And so I think it was sort of getting to a place where I felt like I'd gotten a lot from that and was ready to move on to the next thing. When you moved here, what were your initial impressions of LA? Um, it was big. <laughs> uh, I re- yeah. I remember one time being with my friends and like, we're going to go to like guitar hero. It's just down the street or not, not guitar. Hero. <laughs> Sorry, we were just talking about rock band, um, guitar center. Cause he wanted like new strings and they were like, yeah, it's just down sunset a little bit. And I was like, okay. And they lived at like Hollywood Western basically. And I remember being in the car and like being in the car and being in the car. And I was like, it's been like 25 minutes. Like, where is this? It's like, like four blocks down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's not that far. It's just down sunset. Uh, and so there, were, I think there were a lot of experiences like that at the beginning where it's like, just like intellectually, you can know it's big, but when you're in the car for an hour to go to the West side to visit your friend, that's when you realize, Oh, like it's big. Like it takes a long time to get places. Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest faults people can do, you know, make when they move here is assuming like, Oh, they only live this far. It's right. going to take me this long to get here. Right. Uh, I always add like 10 minutes to your drive. Right. <laughs> always. At least. So, yeah, so I think there's that, but it, it was also, you know, I got here and kind of joined up with a friend group that my other friends had established. And I remember being really excited by all of these new people that they'd met that like, you know, I want to like do sound design and I want to be a cinematographer. And, you know, there were actors that we knew suddenly. And so it was, it was coming into this pool of creative, awesome, passionate people uh, and I think that I connected with them right away and that's what made the transition to LA a lot easier. Nice. Um, what would you say the biggest differences between LA and Pleasant Hill or the <laughs> Bay area are? Um, good and bad. Yeah. The Bay area has a lot more trees <laughs> and it's much prettier. What? what are you talking about? Um, but I, I think, you know, in LA there's, there is a certain kind of energy and I think it's not quite the same as like New York where there's like always a bustling. Like I feel like it's LA somehow has like a, a chill energy, but it's also a like a go-go chill. I don't know. I think what's cool about LA, especially when I moved down was like driving down a street and then it's like, Oh, there's the Warner brothers a lot right there. Like there's the Paramount lot and just being reminded constantly, like this is where, it's happening. Like right. This is where film is being made. And, you know, I went to like a, a DVD signing for, uh, or Blu-ray signing for Scott Pilgrim versus <laughs> the world. Nice. And so it was, and that was like one of the first weeks here. And like, this is, this doesn't happen in Pleasant Hill. Like I got to meet like the whole cast, like Anna Kendrick and Edgar Wright and like all those people. And then while standing in line to do the signing, uh, 
was the Silver Sun Pickups, which is like one of my favorite bands. And so I was like, I'm just, I'm in LA, I'm in a line to like meet these cool people. And then my favorite band is also in line to meet. You're this. in LA, like right. you're living an LA life. Right. right there. It was like a hardcore, like <laughs> welcome to the LA experience thing. What do you feel attracts people to LA? Is it just the studio system and that, that chance or do you think there's more to it that that makes this a place that people want to come in and live and stay? I would think that people probably come just because they hear you have to be here to do stuff. And like, this is where the studios are. This is where the entertainment industry is. I think that's probably the biggest reason why people come. I think anybody that I've known, you know, makes me feel like the reason people stay is finding like like-minded individuals and like other people that are passionate about the same things that you are that you know is much rare you know it's rare to find in pleasant hill like someone else working on a screenplay <laughs> like i go to starbucks when i visit my parents and i'm like no one here is working on a screenplay it's so weird <laughs> that person only stayed for five minutes <laughs> <laughs> whereas like you know in la every coffee shop no matter what someone's working on a screenplay and so you know it kind of eventually becomes cynical and like you roll your eyes at it while also knowing that you're one of those people too but <laughs> but i think that's also what's great about it. it's like everyone here has the same dreams and the same goals and you can find people that want to do the same thing that you do. And I think that's harder to find in other places. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, what was your what was the thing you came down here to do? Like, you know, uh, you, Michael came here to act. I came here to write. What was what was your main goal when you came here uh, to direct direct? OK, yeah. um, what did you what kind of steps did you take when you first moved here to kind of make that happen? So basically, right after I moved here, uh, me and two of my close friends from film school, Alex Cairos and Ryan McDuffie, we were all hanging out and we we're like, you know, so many people come to L.A. and say they want to do stuff and then don't do anything. How can we find a way to force ourselves to do something? And so we came up with uh, an idea that we call Finite Films. Um, so we started this production company, Finite Films, and started a website and a YouTube channel. And the premise of it was that we would release a short film every month for a year. Uh-huh. And uh, we would you know, release them online on YouTube. And for each short film, we would take... Uh, what we called constraints from the audience. So people could go online, go to our website and submit story constraints. Like, so like a 24 hour film project, kind of like that thing. Yeah. So like people would say like one scene must take place in the rain or one character loves olives. Thanks a lot for that suggestion here in Los Angeles. (laughs) Well, that's not going to come out for a while. Yeah, That one was challenging. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so that, so we, we did that and we started that and we did that for a year. We made 12 short films any year and they were each like they weren't like short short films they were like 15 20 minute short films right. like the kind you're not supposed to make <laughs> and so it was crazy and it was kind of like a boot camp where it was just each one of us you know as a writer director and so we each directed four over that 12 month period and so it was staggered so one of us was always writing one of us was always shooting one of us was always in post ideally it never worked out <laughs> that cleanly um, it sounds like a good dream. Right. Yeah. It <laughs> broke down pretty quickly. But but yeah, so it was just a, it was a cool way to like land in L.A. and then immediately start doing stuff and start practicing, you know, writing and directing. And, you know, we would meet people and they had a friend and they, they had a friend. And so slowly we kind of created this community 
uh, around finite films. And so by the end of the year, you know, there were 20, 30 of us that that really liked working together and could produce really high quality work. So, so, you know, some people work with one person. I work with Michael a lot on a lot of things, but you were working with two two people, um, having kind of a, a, a trifecta, a triumvirate, if you will. Mm-hmm. What were kind of the pros and cons of working with three people, and you know, and also maybe the pros and cons of them being your friends? Yeah, at the same time. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, I think what was really great about it was that we all kind of had different sensibilities in some ways, and and we. It was invaluable getting feedback from each of them because they would always have different things that they would comment on. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was pretty much true for all three of us that we provided that for each other. A way of getting feedback from different personalities and a way that really, I think, made our work better. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was the benefit is having multiple minds on it that were attacking every problem from different places and right. stuff. And I think the challenge was kind of just the flip side of that, <laughs> where it's like, I, I think it's harder for three people to get on the same page mm-hmm. than like two people, for instance. And I think me and, you know, one of the other uh, of the three, I think, had closer uh, sensibilities. So I think it was easier for us to come two agreements than with the third and so that caused some like dynamics trouble at times but i think ultimately i think it was a really good learning experience and we did things as a trio that we wouldn't have been able to do in any other configuration what would you say and, and correct me if i'm wrong um one of the benefits you know when you make a film or uh even if it's a short film you're working with at least six to seven other people who have ideas and thoughts that you have to bring in. And as a director and as a producer, um, it seems like that probably helped in that sense where you got used to dealing with multiple minds and multiple opinions. Uh, you know, Michael and I deal with us. And then if we bring in a production company, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, ha- we, we can, ha- we work with them, but you know, it's, there's a, l- a little less of a challenge because it's really just two minds trying to come together to compromise. Whereas mm-hmm. you had to do with three and then maybe four. And this, like you said, you had multiple people working on these films. So I'm sure that gave you some great lessons and, 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 and practice in that art form as well, dealing with multiple personalities. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's one of those aspects of filmmaking that like, I think probably as a, you know, a student going into like, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. You never think about like, I need to learn how to like manage personalities mm-hmm. and like navigate complicated social situations where people disagree. And like, how do you come to an agreement or how do you learn to like sacrifice the least important things? And right. so, yeah, so I feel like that was definitely one of the best one of the most important lessons that I think we all came away with was how to navigate collaboration, uh, which is often tricky. So how did you support all this? Uh, you know, support yourself while y'all were making <laughs> these films for YouTube. So we did a, uh, an Indiegogo, um, before we launched it. And I think we raised like $8,000. And this was just for the, for the 12 films for the 12. Films. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that kind of helped us like, get off the ground and then we very quickly realized that's how I got to pay for everything. <laughs> so it was sort of like that money went to like the food <laughs> to you know, yeah. that's how we right exactly. The most important part of a set I would I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. You have to feed the people Cameras first and foremost. Right. So yeah, so it was that and then, you know, I saved up a little bit from working at Soundworks collection and and 
all that, but it was also a good lesson. And like short films don't, don't make money. Like you don't get money back from that. So, uh, there was a very generous subsidy from the parents of Michael Tucker <laughs> foundation, foundation. <laughs> that I get is like, they've supported me like the whole time that I've wanted to be in filmmaking. And I've only been able to get to where I've gotten because of them. Mm-hmm. And this is just one instance of like, they understood what I was doing was really cool and could lead to great things. So they were chill about helping me pay the rent during this crazy year. It was almost like a grad school kind of a thing. So now you guys made a uh, supernatural web series mm-hmm. based on the the, the premise. I'm, I'm guessing supernatural is the proper <laughs> word. Um, I'm going to try to say it again. I've tried okay. this before. Yeah. Anamnesis. Yeah. Yes. yes. Bingo. Nailed it. <laughs> so just a real quick, you wrote and directed and produced, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going with that directing, kind of merging those things together, uh, what did you love about directing? What did you hate about it? Uh, what did you find challenging and what did you find rewarding? Sure. Just specifically on anamnesis. Well, yeah. You know, what did you take from that, that you maybe learned that you could take with other places? Sure. Just cause I feel like that's more of a longer multiple episode. Yeah. Well, so, so anamnesis was interesting cause it was based on one of the short films that we made in that year. Um, and that short film also called anamnesis was written and directed by my friend Alex Cairos. And so, uh, we were actually approached by a producer who was like, I love this short film. Could it be a web series? Here's some money. Go figure it out kind of a thing. And we were like, okay, money. Let's see what happens. And so he kind of invited me to co-write and co-direct it with him. I think that experience was also really interesting because it was you know, a very close collaboration where we were writing together. And that was the first time that I'd co-written anything. And then co-directing is definitely like an interesting challenge that was really valuable, but also hard to navigate. So did you all co-direct every episode or did you direct yeah. one and then he directed the next one? We co-directed because we shot it all. We basically shot it like a feature. So okay. we shot it all at once. And so, yeah, so every day we were both there on set as director and sort of, and it was interesting, yeah, trying to navigate, like there were certain scenes or plot lines that, you know, he had more of his hands in or that I did. And so it was sort of like, all right, you take the lead today and like you're working with the actors, I'll kind of stay on the technical side and vice versa. And so navigating that was, it was challenging, uh, but again, really good practice at collaborating. And, and I think ultimately we, you know, created something that neither one of us would have done individually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. Nice. How many of the short films did you direct? Uh, four. Four. And then you had the episodes. What is your process? Like, what did you learn that makes your process as a director? Like if I hired you to direct something, what could I expect from you um, starting from the beginning to getting roll- cameras rolling? Yeah. I mean, yeah, reflecting back, cause it's been several years now. <laughs> I need I, you to think hard. <laughs> I feel like before the web series, especially, I think I was probably overconfident in my ability to just like whatever I saw in my head was the right way to do it. And I think one of the benefits that came from co-directing it was that we had to like write it down and talk it out and get on the same page and really figure out like, okay, for this story beat, like what do we need to accomplish? What's the best way to do it? And it was the first time that I think I had to be challenged that my first idea wasn't the best idea. And so I think, you know, extrapolating from that many years later now, I think that would be my process now is like, you know, read the script, understand the overall story, but then just kind of like keep focusing down closer and closer until you're like moment by moment. What is, 
what does this mean for the characters in the scene? How is this affecting, you know, what, where are we in the overall plot? Um, and then I think once I have like a really good grasp of what this moment needs to be both, you know, within the scene and the bigger picture, start figuring out how do you, what's the best way to communicate that? And like, what's the best way to communicate that for clarity's sake so that the audience understands, uh, what is happening and receives the proper information. But then also on top of that, what's the best way to communicate that in an entertaining way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's kind of my approach now is like break everything into the smallest possible pieces, get a really good handle on it and then start building up from there. Right. What I love asking this because Michael's an actor. So I love asking this question <laughs> when he's not on the microphone, um, especially of directors. Uh, so it's kind of a two part question. So a, what do you love about actors? Uh, so what I've come to love about actors uh, is the... <laughs> After a long process. <laughs> is I think, uh, I think it's easy to underestimate how hard it is to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And not just the skill part of it, because obviously that's a huge piece of it and it requires tons of practice but i think i've come to appreciate how vulnerable it is and like the best performances that i've gotten are when actors are willing to just do whatever and put it all on the line and be completely vulnerable and that requires so much trust and because as an actor you have so little control over how it's all going to be put together and so like I I imagine it feels the same putting yourself out there for a film that sucks ultimately as, as well as, you know, something that you feel delivers on what you were hoping it would. So I think that's, that's what I've come to really appreciate and like about actors. It's a very generous profession. I I feel like, you know, I think it helps. And this is something you hear a lot with people who suggest things to directors that you spent time in theater surrounded by actors doing, you know, that like that stand up type thing and and Mm -hmm. improv because you can have, you can gain, even if that wasn't your thing, you can gain an appreciation for those around you of what they do. Yeah. I know, especially with, you know, Michael and myself as an actor, you know, if we were on set and, and I recently with Michael is that you come off, you're exhausted and mm-hmm. because you're putting, if you're a good <laughs> d- devoted actor, you're giving all of yourself to that moment and to that, whatever big, small, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it is something that's nice when people understand that and, and yeah. that it's not just, you're not just a horse that does tricks. You're, a human being that's creating emotions out of nothing. Yeah. Um, so the other side of it, what frustrates you about actors, especially Michael? <laughs> especially. <laughs> um, I think what look him in the eyes, please. <laughs> I haven't worked with you, yet, but you seem like you'd be wonderful to work with. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I think when I've been frustrated with actors, it's been. I think as the director, you're spending so much time thinking about how everything plugs into everything else. And you know that any one piece is just one of many pieces in the puzzle. And actors kind of necessarily have to worry about just the one piece. And I think can be very focused on getting their part exactly the way they want it to. And I think something that I struggled with early on and in this year of short films that we did was like, the, there's a frustration of like 
an actor being like, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that one. And it's like, well, but that was like the, like maybe when you feel it, that's when it's like not the best performance all the time. And so, so I feel like there was, it took me a while to kind of, understand and empathize with like the only thing an actor has control over is their performance and so like of course they want to make that as good as possible and like do with that what they can and i think as a director it's hard to like get into that so once i was able to empathize with that and understand uh, that mindset i think it helped me work with them but you know a good actor is aware of the constraints of the behind the scenes. So if you're a decent actor who is not just egotistical, you understand we have an hour to get this shot. So I'm going to give what I can. If the director says it's good, then I'm going to have to let that go sometimes, even if I don't feel, you know, you ha- it's a trust. You have to trust your director and tr- the tr- director has to trust the actor. Now, I know through talks we've had before, you talked about how kind of directing kind of led to writing because you felt like, you know, you have to kind of maybe write your own stuff sometimes, which led to lessons from a screenplay. What was the initial genesis of lessons from a screenplay? Yeah. Lessons from the screenplay. Make sure I'm (laughs) saying that very particularly. So there's kind of like the long version and the short version. (laughs) How about a medium version? Okay. Okay. So (laughs) the medium version is, was basically, uh, you know, everything I've directed, I've also written, but the focus has always been on directing. And I think it's easy as a director to write cool stuff that you're excited to shoot and overlook the basic story fundamentals that make it worth shooting. Uh, and so, you know, after we did the web series of Anamnesis, before we released it online via some people we knew, it got in front of a producer who wanted to help us develop it into a TV pilot. And so we spent, Alex Kairos and I spent a year uh, trying to write a TV pilot based on this web series. And we were really excited because we were working with this really great producer and like she'd worked on like Breaking Bad and Mad Men and like really awesome stuff. And we were like, we will do whatever you say. And I think it was in this year of just being a writer that I realized that I was not a good writer, <laughs> that, that I had like sort of skipped over the basics and gone straight to like the clever filmmaking stuff and that was kind of her feedback all the time was like everything you're sending is really clever but like what's the story what's the character and so eventually that project fell apart for various reasons um and then you know i spent a couple years like editing documentary stuff and just paying the bills and then when uh the documentary that i was working on suddenly uh, fell apart because we were doing a documentary on esports and like the rise of a new esports team and then they lost their first big game and then the company disappeared overnight basically oh, wow. so it was like okay well never mind we don't have jobs for the next year <laughs> like we thought um but it so it was this moment where i had been working had saved up enough and suddenly had a bunch of free time and i was like okay how do i let's put time back into being creative and I kind of accepted that the thing I needed to work on was screenwriting and just going back and learning those fundamentals. So I decided to read a bunch of screenplays. And in the process of starting that, I was like, well, why don't I write a blog about each screenplay I write to help me retain the knowledge and maybe share it out there. Mm -hmm. And as I was writing the blog, I was like, well, maybe this could be a video. Like I've seen video essays and like, well, but there must be one on screenwriting. So then I did a bunch of Googling to see if there was one on screenwriting and there wasn't. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this could be a thing. So essentially the channel is born out of me trying to teach myself all these things. 
Um, and then also realizing that it could be really valuable to share it with other people. So, so quick pitch, uh, next year, April fools, mm-hmm. why don't Hollywood hustle in association with lessons from screenplay, do a video on the pilot for animes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> was lessons from the screenplay, your initial name for it, or did you have some other ideas that you came came up with that got kind of thrown out so strangely it was my first idea and then i knew like kind of my philosophy going into it was like don't go with your first idea like put in the time research ask people like i wanted to really do this right because i think in the, the past i've you know you get excited about a thing and then you dive in and you don't spend the time preparing to make it as good as it could be. Right. So amongst other things, I spent a lot of time testing out different titles, running it by people. And kind of every time people were like, no, what lessons from the screenplay? I feel like that's the right one. Do you remember some of the other alternatives that you had? I don't know that I do. I have them written down somewhere. I kept coming back to like script notes. Sounds like a good one. <laughs> oh, <damn>. Nerd writer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but lessons just kind of kept being the one that people were like, that's, that's the one. Yeah. Cause I felt like, you know, for a new channel, like it's, it's descriptive. It tells you what it is. I was about to say the thing. It says what the show is very easily. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like ties your hands in one way. Cause it can only be about that, but it also, I think helps people get it immediately and, right. and help it. So what's your, what's your mission for the channel? Like, what do you hope that as you do this, that people are taking away from it and what's for you, what do you see it being? So I think my, the why behind it was you know, I kind of picture film school me and it's, I think film school me is very similar to a lot of aspiring filmmakers. And I kind of want to communicate things that I wish I would have received or had been communicated to me, which is an appreciation for the work of writing. Like, I think it's easy to take it for granted. And, you know, I think for the average moviegoer, they're not like cognizant of the amount of work it takes to come up with the words that the actors are saying. Like, I think, you know, people don't understand how much work and the craft that goes into it. So, so that's sort of my main goal is to raise awareness and appreciation of the work of screenwriting that goes for me too. I think I've learned a lot about screenwriting and I certainly feel like a more competent writer now that I've gone through all of this. And so it was, as a personal goal, it was like, you know, I have this one area that is a clear weakness. So let's find a way to, you know, work on those skills and kind of bring it up to par. How do you go about choosing your film and your theme for your next video? It kind of varies. Um, It's, you know, I always ask my fans to like recommend movies. And And on your Patreon, you usually put like, if I reach this much, we'll do this video also, right? Right. Yeah. There's like a, once I hit a goal, I will do one of like the most social network. Right. Exactly. So spoiler alert, (laughs) (laughs) it's listening to fans. It's also, you know, have I seen something that I'm excited about? Like it, it usually needs to be something that I think is interesting and that I'm excited to learn more about. And that, you know, is something that I haven't talked about already. And so, yeah, sometimes it's like, I'm going to scroll through all the comments and see what, like, if something is trending toward this direction, or it's like, I just really feel like I need to talk about, you know, Logan versus Children of Men <laughs> right now. Cause I watched Logan. And I was like, this is Children of Men. I got to make a video about this. And you turned into a New Yorker when you, <laughs> when you did it. Obviously. Well, that's one of the things I love about your channel is that it's not just sometimes singular film based. It's not, let's look at this film and what it does. It's. 
let's analyze the protagonist from two Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. And they're both female protagonists. And which one's quote unquote better or which one's written better or the Logan versus children men. Um, instead of the contrast, you're looking at what makes the, how do they do the same thing mm-hmm. differently, but well. And so that I find that interesting just because it does change it up and mm-hmm. it, you never know what you're going to get from your channel. And I think that's, that's exciting. Or you do a TV show like game of Thrones. So it's mm-hmm. not always a film. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really great that you do mix it up and with how you format it. Um, awesome. what's, what's your process for making the videos? Like if you had to go like step one, step two, <laughs> step three, what's kind of quickly, what's your process in that? I choose the topic. I read the screenplay. I watch the movie. I do lots of research, like reading interviews with the screenwriter, listening to the audio commentary. Um, I any, love audio commentary. They're so good. It's especially like Lord of the Rings has four commentaries oh my God. on it. <laughs> That's the one thing about commentaries is that like they can be long and like sometimes the director's like, this is what I was thinking story-wise. And sometimes it's like, on that day, this person was just being goofy. It's like, well, that <laughs> that is not useful for <laughs> or what I'm this. trying to do. Right. Yeah. It's like, can you talk about the movie? Right. Like, I think the memento commentary was like the one that like I was so frustrated that I spent two hours of my life on it because it was completely useless for my purposes. Um, but yeah, so I do lots of research and then uh, I start writing. Usually as I'm doing the research, I'm like taking notes and kind of formulating like these are the topics that I want to talk about. And sometimes going into it, I know what I want to talk about. And other times I kind of find it during the research or even during the writing, like the Logan versus Children of Men. You know, I was going to do their entire story arc and compare it. And as I started to write it, I was like, this is really like this is going to be really long. Um, You said that in the video. (laughs) I think you're like, this is going to be really long. So I downed it to like this. Yeah. And so and I and I happened to be reading a screenwriting book, creating character arcs by Cam Wyland and was reading the section about the first act. And I was like this is a really good breakdown of the first act. And I feel like that's the part of these two movies that I like the most anyway. So let's do that. And so there's definitely like a, a discovery period during the writing process. How many times do you read the scripts? Cause I believe, I believe you told us you read it several times, right? I, I usually like start to finish only read it once, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of depends on if it's a film that I'm familiar with or not. Like, you know, like when I did The Dark Knight, it's like I'd seen that movie like 10 times. Like I don't really need what's, to what's like remember. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Um, Dark Knight. But, uh, but I do go back and, you know, like like with Logan and Children of Men, it was like, I'm going to read the first acts over and over again. Or like Hidden Figures, which I just did, you know, so much of it was like tracking like where all the plot points happen. So there's a lot of like going over the script and like as I'm reading the script, I'm usually taking notes and marking down like inciting incident. This is happening and like highlight this and blah, blah, blah. So that helps me as I go through it over again. Right. Now, how many drafts of the script do you usually go through? What's an average number of draft and how many pages are they usually? I try to aim for like 2,500 words mm-hmm. usually there to like 3000 and it's usually like, 12 drafts man like it's it's probably like it probably sounds more impressive than it (laughs) is because it's like i'll do a pass and then you know when i go to do the next pass i make a version two and then version three and sometimes those passes are you know everything needs to be completely different let's change it up but sometimes it's like especially as i'm getting to the end it's like okay let's do a clarity pass to make sure i'm conveying things succinctly let's do a spell check pass and all like stuff like that so 
probably sounds more impressive, but but <laughs> there's several drafts because I've I very quickly learned that getting the script right makes everything else so much easier. Now, do you when you write the script, do you put in how it's going to be kind of cut? Is it also kind of your editing script as well, or do you go in and play with it a little bit more than that? When I began, I did a lot of writing out how I was going to edit it. Um, and I've sort of stopped doing that as much over time. I think because I have so much experience editing at this point that I know that that's, that's the easier part. Like editing Michael, will he'll figure it out. It'll be fine. <laughs> editing Michael's always upset at writing Michael right. for thinking that. But um, so, you know, I, I grab the like quotes from the movies and stuff, you know, big important sections that need to be there that I'm referencing. I put in the script, but for the most part, it's sort of just like once the voiceover is recorded, I figure it out during editing. How long does the editing usually take for you on average? Probably like two days to three days to do. It's usually like two, two and a half days to do like a rough first draft where I just do, you know, very quick motion graphics. Um, because, yeah, you know, I record the voiceover and then I edit that all in. And then once the voiceover is in place, that's when I bring in the clips and sort of build from there. Right. And so I try to do like a rough version, send that out to friends and family and people that'll respond, hopefully give me feedback, make changes, kind of lock the edit and then move to motion graphics. And then once that's done, do the sound mix. And then once that's done, export it, upload it. I have to design the thumbnail. I have to figure out the title. I have to write the description. <laughs> I have to do the captions for everything. Uh, and then upload it and release. And then breathe. <laughs> yeah. And then release day is always very cathartic. You know, it's, it's you know, Michael and I are really big fans of, of the channel. And, you know, that's it's something that I found through, I believe, a blog that reach, that posted it. I believe it was your Dark Knight. Um, I think, I, or maybe Michael sent it to me through a blog that he found it right. Yeah. And, um, and so it's interesting. Like the other day I was like, oh my gosh, I've been watching your videos for almost like a year now. <laughs> and I didn't even like realize it. Like it's been that long. And it's so fascinating to see your progression as a creator and like going from like, you know, the, your first one to uh, hidden figures and like all the work you put into that one, which was fantastic. And, you know, breaking down the subplots and your timeline that you put together. So, you know, it's, it's easy to see the time, the effort and the love that you put into these videos. And it's very much appreciated, at least by me and Michael, for sure. That's, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. To hear. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so do you have like a group of people you send it out to first to get like their notes or their, their feedback on it? Or are you kind of like, I feel good. Boom. Publish. <laughs> uh, I always send it out to people and I've sort of, you know, friends and family from, you know, the finite films days that I used to work with or just new people like friends I met that are very good at, you know, giving uh, valuable feedback and stuff. I kind of like finish the draft that I feel good about and then send it out to all of them knowing that they all have very busy lives and expecting like maybe two or three to give feedback. Um, especially at this point, cause I realized like I've been doing this for like a year and a half now where I just send you a draft every few weeks and you've been very kind to keep listening. <laughs> yes. And it, it's always really helpful. So, so uh, yeah, I always try to get feedback. I think that was one of the things I I also learned during that finite films year of short films is how important feedback is and how um, it's very necessary to be good at receiving feedback. Cause I think there's 
there's the wrong way and the right way, in my opinion, to like get feedback. And so I think learning the right way is very, it's very important. important. Yes. yes. <laughs> what, so I have kind of another two part question, uh, but very simple. What was your most challenging video up to date? Would you say? That is a good question. <laughs> it's hard because I've, there are so many now that like, I can't even remember all of them. We get it. You've made a lot of videos. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's, it's so weird. I know, like, I know. I'm just kidding. I go on my page. And I'm like, when did I, what did I say about <laughs> Ex Machina? And like, I don't remember. I mean, so the dark Knight one, I think jumps to mind mm-hmm. as I, I feel like I knew it had the potential to be something really big i guess and so i really wanted to nail that i would say that it, I, I could be wrong that's the one that kind of brings a lot of people to your video is that the dark yeah. night one right like i feel like that's the one that people know if if people know anything and right. so i think i had some sense that it could be that and so I, I remember being very stressed about that and like did a lot of rewriting like that one i made i edited and i was like no and then I went back and kind of like did it all again. And I recorded the voiceover like four different times and I really tried to get that one right. Do, do you feel you felt that was so big because it was such a big movie to people? Is that kind of you felt like the pressure of the importance yeah. that people held to that movie? Yeah, I felt like, you know, the Dark Knight on the Internet, like talking about the Joker, like I knew that was going to get some attention. Yeah, if it's going to bring people, let's bring it to good stuff. Yeah. And, and I think I kind of also as I was working on it, realized there weren't really any other like no one else had really talked about it in like the video essay community. So I was like, okay, like, can I make like the one? And like, it's such a, I wanted to talk about antagonists and it's such a perfect example of like how to create a great antagonist. So I feel like that, that one was really hard. I think the game of Thrones one is also sticking out in my brain as a very difficult one. Cause I also decided to do it like a week and a half before <laughs> it needed to come out before the new season started. And I had to watch a lot of Game of Thrones, which is fun, but also exhausting. Yes, and that show is, it can be exhausting if yeah. you have to binge it. So yeah, I mean, I feel like there's some that are difficult creatively to crack and figure out like, what is it that I'm trying to say? And there's some that I've started and, and never finished because I just couldn't figure it out. Right. And then there's some that are just difficult because of timing and and the technical aspect. Well, the other part, is there one that you did that you sent to your, your circle of criti- critics that you had to make a lot of changes based on like, they came back like, Ooh, this needs some work still. Or is there any of them that weren't, wasn't there yet when you sent it out? I mean, I think that's happened with several of them. I think especially early on, I mean, in my very first video, I think I did that the most with right. the gone girl video. You know, I wrote the script, sent it to people, needed to change lots of stuff, did a first version, showed it to people. And they were like, I like this part, but I feel like all of this needs to change. And so I rewrote that. So I feel like that one changed a lot. I think the Game of Thrones one changed a lot. Yeah, it's hard to remember specific, but it happens frequently. And that's why I think it's so valuable too. You kind of said you were kind of a shy guy. You you definitely prefer to be behind the camera. What's it like being, you know, on the end <laughs> of your videos, you kind of turn from the computer and have a small now, especially now you're kind of sponsors and stuff like that. So you're promoting sponsors. How is that for you being kind of an introvert if, if that's correct i'm just kind of yeah no that, that's accurate it's it's my least favorite part for <laughs> sure like the first time i did it you know it was like a 20 second like right. thanks for watching <laughs> and it took me like three and a half hours to do it because it was like i did it once i was like no that's not right let's do it again and like trying to be like happy and smile a lot and have energy and like i feel like i don't in my normal 
life like project tons of energy when I talk. And right. so it's like, I have to gather all this energy, but then it's like, oh, I flubbed that thing. And now I'm getting upset and I'm kind of like frustrated. And so it's hard to be happy. And then I send it to people and they're like, you seem like you're not happy in this video. You should do it with like smiling. And so the first couple ones were very brutal. And that also helped me uh, empathize with actors and how difficult it is. Cause like it took me three hours to say 20 seconds of lines. <laughs> Just say and, thank you. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I love uh, like, uh, you know, watch watching from when I did and seeing that in part and then the breaking bad when you turn around in the hazmat <laughs> suit was such a great break and so funny to see it because I, I think you see like, you're not you love being behind the camera so seeing you do that just kind of adds to it and it makes it even better so real quick kind of to wrap everything up you know youtube as a creator is a, a crazy space there's a lot of different channels mm-hmm. how did you go about marketing yours and also learning the youtube creator landscape yeah i mean i think there's a certain extent that it's just going to be luck on the internet so i think a lot of it was just luck in the timing but I did spend a lot of time like researching other channels. Like I looked at pretty much all the other film channels that I could find and watched some of their videos and tried to understand like, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what I like about what they're doing. This is what I don't like. This is how I feel like I would do it if I were to try to achieve the same thing. Um, And so it was a lot of, yeah, researching what else was out there, what I responded to in those other channels. YouTube also has like a creator studio like academy. So I went, I forced myself to do all of that and like read all the like thumbnails are like important and like faces and colors and blah, blah, blah. And then I'd also randomly the year before I launched published a video that I put on Reddit that was um, like a stabilization of one of the shots in 2001, a space odyssey. Uh, And it's just like, you know, it's the shot where like they're walking down the hallway and like the thing at the end is spinning and then they step onto the, that platform and they start spinning. Mm -hmm. And so I released that on YouTube and posted it to the movies subreddit to see what would happen. And it like blew up and like got to the front page of that. And so that's when I was like, okay, if like, if I can construct something that, you know, other people find valuable, then maybe it can, you know, be shared around and like have a life on Reddit and stuff. And so that's, so it was sort of like all of that research and just trying to create a first video that I thought would be cool and valuable and kind of hit that mark of bringing awareness to something that people may not have been. And I think, yeah, the first Gone Girl video made it to the top of the movie subreddit and I think maybe briefly was on the front page, mm-hmm. but sort of like overnight it went from like, this is kind of insane that I'm kind of banking everything on starting a YouTube channel to like, oh, maybe there's something here. Well, now your videos are shared by a lot of online blogs and magazines and film mm-hmm. uh, based uh, stuff like that. So you also have a Patreon. I don't want to go away without talking about that. You know, when you started that, what was your, you know, how did you kind of get that going? How did you, what was your thought process in coming up with your rewards? If you don't know, Patreon is a place for creators to go. You as a person can sponsor your favorite creators. You can, they, you can either do it uh, monthly or, uh, or by product. It depends on what the creator wants to do. Um, and they usually have rewards based on how much you give. Um, one of Michael's rewards, uh, that's my notes falling. Um, one of Michael's rewards is, you know, you get to, he does a Google hangout every month where mm-hmm. it's a video hangout. You get on video and y'all chat and you chat with four, 
four or five others. I've done it several times with Michael and it's, it's really a lot fun. of fun because we yeah. just, we talk about movies. I mean, that's what you, and all of them are writing screenplays or directing something. And so it's a fascinating creative discussion where you just learn what everybody's doing and you meet new people. Yeah. I think there's one guy that's in Germany, I believe, right? Yeah, or it's Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's in Switzerland. Yeah. And so you're talking to people all across the world and yeah. it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, what was your process in coming up with the rewards and getting it set up and, and the goals and, you know, what did you have in mind for it when you started it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was sort of just, I looked at what other people did and saw that there was, uh, you know, it's trash day, by the yeah. way. If you're trash truck in the back. Trash day all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be yesterday. It's weird. <laughs> you didn't call them and cancel your trash pickup today because of our recording? Um, but yeah, I kind of looked at like other patrons or other people that had Patreons and saw what their perks were. And, you know, if we had done uh, for our Indiegogo campaign, um, you know, we had to do perks. And then for Anamnesis, we did a Kickstarter. And so we also learned from that, like, like we promised like DVDs the first time and it was like, don't do that. Like don't promise things <laughs> um, where you're going to have to physically send stuff to people. Cause that's just insane. That stuff. We, we, we learned planning is the biggest part of a Kickstarter. Like mm-hmm, plan mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Seeing what other people were doing, learning, you know, taking the lessons from the experience that I had and trying to figure out what like would be valuable to people because it's like it's weird asking people for money and to just like donate things and so i feel like with anything i want to i do i want to deliver something that people find valuable so sort of just trying to figure out what that could be and like as an introvert i was definitely like nervous about the google hangout thing Mm -hmm. but it was like if people are willing to support the channel this much like i feel like it's only fair for me to like give like my time to these people and like get to like meet them and chat with them. And well, what's great, great about, you know, is we, we also supported another friend of the podcast, Kurt Mega's story matters. And he does something similar, but he's the only one on video. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is in chat. Mm-hmm. So, but he's definitely an extrovert. He has that, he can host that through video. So I think for yours, it works because you have everybody on video. So everybody can talk where you don't have to mm-hmm. be the only one talking <laughs> the yeah. whole time. So it works really well. And it also, I just, I like that being able to see people's faces when I talk to them. I, yeah. I just, I don't know. There's something about it where you just, it feels more like a conversation and less like a text message. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the weird things about, releasing your stuff on youtube is like you know i get lots of comments and they're usually all very complimentary and it's awesome and amazing but like you know it's still just text on a screen and so like when i get to chat with patreon people or you know the couple times that i've like rant run into like people that are familiar with the channel like the energy exchange right. and that's like really valuable and really fun as a creator so some of the other things you offer people can watch the videos early um they get to know what video you're doing uh early and what the theme is like i said they do a google hangout um, sometimes you'll post behind the scenes or deleted scenes yeah. from your cuts on there as well. Um, so they get a lot of really cool stuff. And, and also the more, the amount of money reaches a goal is a, a, a requested video that you get a lot. Like the first one I think was social network right. and you did that one. And now I think the next one's Pulp Fiction, if I remember correctly, yeah. is it creepy that I know all this stuff? <laughs> no, no, that's well uh, researched. It's um, good. Have, so my final question kind of, cause you know, like I said, we're fans of, of, of your show or your channel. Have you been recognized, um, <laughs> since you're on video in the channels, are you, re- have you ever been recognized outside of the channel where somebody's like, Hey, are you the guy that does <laughs> lessons from the screenplay? 
it's happened like a handful of times okay. now and it's it was really trippy the first time it happened i was in uh like a lift on a way to a friend's like bachelor party mm-hmm. and i was talking to my other friend uh about the channel and then the driver's just like are you like that's so crazy it was like yeah so that blew my mind and then like a a handful of other times it's happened just like standing on the street like someone's come up to me or i was at arclight watching you know just having seen a movie with friends and we were just hanging out and like do a video about that movie (laughs) (laughs) but it's so funny like it's it's so weird like because a lot of them are like younger, I think, like, you know, like college age people. And I can see that they're like nervous to meet me. And that's super weird to me because like <laughs> I'm in, like, I'm the nervous one. Like I'm the introvert. So it's just a, just a batch of nervousness. <laughs> right. And so it's like, it's, I don't know. So, but it's, it's really fun getting to like meet them and talk to them. And I try to like engage them. And yeah, it's awesome. It's, I think it's so crazy that it wasn't your first time wasn't in like a mass audience place like in a grocery store but like <laughs> a singular person driving you in a car yeah that one what is the chance that one person that picked you up watched your videos the more i thought about it i feel like if ever like if there's a place in the world where there's a high concentration of people that are familiar with it it's probably <laughs> Uber LA and, and like young people <laughs> yeah. driving ubers As, or, or servers <laughs> right yeah so well that's great yeah um well, like i said we uh as of our first recording, we became Patreons of, of your thing. And, yes, and I've you. really enjoyed the Google Hangouts and, and getting to know it. We actually, I, I met someone through there that another listener and supporter who I'm hoping to have on the podcast at some point. Yeah. Also, awesome. because he's a screenwriter and he's worked on some net, a Netflix show and stuff like that. So yeah. you're connecting people, Michael. And that's, awesome. that's, that's an amazing <laughs> feeling, right? Um, so just kind of a final, any advice to, uh, writers or directors or creatives out there, like just kind of one piece of advice that you feel is a good foundation to start off on or to, to think about? Um, I think when I reflect back on younger me and the things that I wish I had learned to embrace earlier, I think it's like, don't underestimate the amount of work that is involved. And I think that can turn people off. The people that are that are where you want to be and that are doing the work that you want to do have put in tons and tons of time practicing and getting better and making mistakes and, you know, receiving feedback and like putting effort into doing it. And so I think, you know, that used to scare me like 10,000 hours of practice, but I think what clicked for me and what helped me launch the channel was realizing that that can be freeing also that it's like these people aren't, just like magic geniuses that are born with, you know, some people like have natural inclinations and talent, if you want to call it that. But, but like the only thing separating you from them is like work, like putting in the work, putting in the time and practicing. And so I think learning to embrace that as early on as possible means that you get to where you want to go that much sooner. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where the work and the hardships that you go through is nothing compared to the joy you feel when you've completed it, yeah. whatever it is. If you're working on a script and you're working hours hours on end to make it the best it can be, and the moment someone reads it and goes, wow, that's really good, the feeling that you get from that completely supersedes right. any kind of stress or, I mean, it doesn't, I'm not d- taking that away, but it just, it makes it worth it. And it, it ties it into a nice bow at the end, I think, yeah. you know. And I think it's, it's being, you know, realizing that you will, be able to make lots of things like like not being too precious about it. Cause I think that's something that 
I would do also is like this short film has to be the best one ever made. And if it doesn't like solve, you know, all world, world conflicts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I will be disappointed. You are Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's, you know, it's important to be passionate about your, what you're working on and putting your all into it. But like, you know, saving enough of yourself that you can like get back up whether people love it or hate it and keep going and move to the next one right uh where can people find you online and so they can find you live at (laughs) (laughs) so the channel on youtube is obviously lessons from the screenplay uh uh, there is a facebook group uh channel page also called lessons from the screenplay and then on twitter you can find me at michael tucker la no does lessons from the screenplay have a twitter not a not a separate not one official. Just, okay. yeah just want to clarify just yeah so i searched the other day and i was like oh there's not one so people, people yeah. know well thank you so much and thank you for all the time and effort you put into these videos they truly do teach a lot of great things to people that want to write and i know like i said michael and i always are so excited when another one's up <laughs> and we get really pumped to watch it so uh thank you so much for your time and yeah, uh thank, no, you. thank you i will we'll go to act two here in a little bit and uh thanks for listening everybody back to you daniel in the studio welcome back that was such a fun interview to do michael again was so generous with his time and so kind to have us over to his apartment him and his girlfriend uh we want to definitely thank them for letting us kind of invade for a few hours. It was so much fun. We got to talk off mic about a lot of uh, film stuff, which was so fun. And he's kept in touch with us. And like I said, just been super generous. So we really appreciate his time. I just want to kind of talk about a few things that was brought up during the podcast. Uh, One of the things that was really fun for me was talking about how he discovered film uh, through Star Wars. Like that was the film that really went, wow, this is what movies can do. And I think we all have that movie, you know, that movie as creatives, at least that hit us and made us realize, wow, you know, like we talked in uh, Jessica Hanna's interview, one of our first interviews where she talked about theater and how you're, you're watching a show and then your, your head just kind of explodes because you're like, this is what theater can do. And I think film is the same way. Uh, in the next episode, we actually talk about films that really impacted us personally. And so uh, hearing him talk about that, like that was a big inspiration for him to start making his own films really hit with me because I was the same way. I remember seeing, you know, uh, uh, Mighty Ducks and not, some not as proficient at, or uh, uh, as amazing as Star Wars or as groundbreaking as Star Wars, but still going, wow, I love movies. I love these stories and I want to tell those stories. And so it was great talking about that because Star Wars, I think, as a is a universal inspiration for a lot of filmmakers you talk to a lot of them and they'll mention star wars up in the top three that inspired them to get into film because of its story the hero's journey the the special effects and just the behind the scenes journey that it took to make that movie where it was genuinely a team effort to get it done uh you know michael talks about actors and what he loves and doesn't love about actors and i love a director because that's you know michael's first love is directing i really appreciate a director that appreciates what actors go through and what they put themselves through for roles. Yes, there are actors who will just kind of float through and not really give it their all. And hopefully those people don't get a lot of jobs uh, because, you know, there's people out there who put their energy and their love and their passion into their art, into to acting and, and really take their time to understand who the character is 
and find the proper emotional beat, but also understanding that you're on set, that it's a team effort. You're a cog in the machine. And so you've got to all work together. There's got to be compromise and there's got to be a, a, a relationship that works and flows together easily for a set to be just great. And I love that he kind of understands that he, he understands and respects the work that actors do, but also understands that there's, there's time and a place for deep moments. And there's a time and a place to just get the scene shot and to trust the director when he says, we got it. We're great. You know, an actor has to know how to do that. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I, like I said, I always appreciate when directors really understand that, you know, Josh Otter was the same way. He understands and respects what actors go through. And when you meet a director that doesn't, that's just like, oh, you're just an actor. Like, that's just the most belittling thing you can say to an actor. You're just an actor. There's a lot of energy they put into this. And so it needs to be respected just as much energy as a director puts into directing and put it, getting things together. It's, on, it's the same on both sides. There's passion on both sides that needs to be respected. Um, you know, he, it's interesting that, you know, Michael went from directing and then started really getting interested in screenwriting because he kind of felt like he had to. And I think Josh Otter was the same way. You had to kind of create your own opportunities. And that's a big thing nowadays in LA that you kind of have to learn is creating your own opportunities and really becoming a jack of several trades. You know, it does, you know, you don't want to overdo yourself. You've got to find the things that you can perfect and have time to work on, like directing or writing or acting or producing or script supervising or whatever you choose to do. But you definitely need to maybe have a few skills, even if you have one top skill and then maybe some skills that are kind of level two, level three, intermediate or medium grade skills that you can do as well. That way you can keep working, first of all, and keep making money so you can live here. But also it's just great to have that experience and to understand what other people do around you. Because then again, it goes back to that teamwork. You respect the other people because you know what that lighting guy goes through. You know what that set director had to go through. You know what the makeup person goes through. And so you respect every single person. And when you hear stories of like Brian Cranston and other people who truly learn everybody's name on set and respect every part of that machine, those are the actors that people want to work with. Those are the actors that people hope get hired for their sets because they know they will be respected as equals with that actor. And that's really important. And so having, a, you know, learning how to create your own opportunities to direct or you're creating your own opportunities to produce is a big thing nowadays. So definitely something to look into um, as you move forward in your creativeness. Uh, we talk a lot about lessons from the screenplay in this episode, and we also talk about it in the next episode. But, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned it in the, pot, the the episode, Michael, you know, I, Michael and I discovered lessons from the screenplay at the same time through his Dark Knight Joker uh, video essay. And Michael does a great job of simplifying a lesson and really giving great visuals and entertaining visuals for you to take in that lesson. And he picks great themes and movies that fit that theme. So I highly suggest that you guys go and search LFTS or lessons from the screenplay on YouTube, subscribe and watch his videos, watch them from the beginning and just go through them. Cause they're so well done. He takes a lot of time as we talk about in this. He puts a lot of time and effort in these videos and he does a fantastic job. And Michael and I have definitely learned a lot from watching his videos. And I've bought several books that he's mentioned in the uh, in the videos as well. So I highly suggest that I highly suggest you pick up 
Anatomy of Story by Jack, uh, John Truby. It's a great book uh, that he suggests and he uses a lot as a reference. Um, I've been reading it and it is so interesting and full of information that can help you really become a better storyteller, not just as a screenwriter, but as a storyteller, novel, whatever, you can be better. And it's it's really good. So I highly, highly suggest you check that out. You can find Michael on Twitter and Instagram, Michael Tucker LA. You can also find him, like I said, on YouTube, Lessons from the Screenplay, or you can search LF as in Frank TS. Uh, and you'll find him there as well. Guys, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't had a chance to do that. We appreciate everyone that has. But uh, it really helps kind of get the podcast out there more when people search on uh, iTunes. When you search Hollywood, a lot of times we're in that first little search bit. I don't know if that's because we're getting a lot of downloads or there's not a lot of Hollywood blank um, podcasts out there. So that's good that we kind of pop up. But the more reviews we get and the more downloads we get, iTunes will kind of post us on some of their top 100 groupings, and that's, that would be really great. So if you haven't had a chance, go write a little review and give us a few stars, hopefully five stars. We would really appreciate that. If you have any questions uh, about Michael Tucker or about screenwriting or the show where we're going, or if you have any guest suggestions, people you may know in L.A. that you think would be great to have for us to have on that we can get in touch with, please let us know. And if you live in L.A., you're more than welcome to come to the recording with us. Uh, that's fine. We'll, we'll have you as a guest. Maybe let you ask a question of that guest if you were able to get us connected with them. But send us an email, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, and there's a contact page as well. You can also find us on Twitter at LA Hustlecast. Again, that's at LA Hustlecast or Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. We post several different things on both. Sometimes we post the same things every now and then, but uh, we do some great Insta stories. Every Friday at 12, we do an Insta Live now. Uh, we're also looking going on Periscope every now and then. So definitely join us Fridays, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for that. Ask a question then. It will be either me or Michael or both of us if we can both make it. But yeah, we're doing that now. That's a new thing, doing it every Friday. Unless for some reason, both of us can't make it, which, of course, we'll let you guys know ahead of time. Coming up next week, we continue our conversation with Michael Tucker with the addition of producer Michael Lutheran. We have a fantastic roundtable discussion on the power of storytelling with all of us sharing some personal stories of its impact on each of us. We discuss how to find a job in L.A. It's not easy and how <laughs> it's not easy, guys, and how we've evolved as storytellers and who helped us get to where we are that and so much more on act two with michael tucker guys thank you so much we are back we're hitting the ground running guys we have episodes lined up at least till may right now so we are chugging along and we're ready to take you guys for the ride please talk to us on twitter talk to us on instagram we want to hear from you guys we love you thank you for sticking with us and coming back until next week keep up the hustle Hollywood Hustle podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced and edited by Michael Lutheran. Mike Tobias designed our website, and to look for more information, please visit hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Hollywood Hustle podcast.